Hey, we're in the book of Job, chapter 31. I mentioned last time, uh, and time cut us off a little bit before I got to the end of Job's response, um, we're, we've, we've heard the last from Curly, Larry, and Moe, his, <laughs> his three friends. We're going to be introduced to another guy here shortly. Job is making his final defense, if you would. He's, he's laying it out there. He's saying, you know, again, he's going to kind of come through. We're going to see at the end of this. He's kind of like saying, I, I rest my case at the, end of, at the end of this chapter. And Job is, is, again, really wrestling with this thing. And I, as I was just kind of thinking through, even from this weekend, if you were here this weekend, you know, where, where are we as Christians? Nobody here this weekend, or everybody forgot that fast? <laughs> we are in Christ Jesus, right? I mean, we, you know, those, that is positionally where we are as Christians. No one can separate us from that fact, from that beautiful truth. And nothing that we do can separate us from that. We talked about the fact that, that sin in our lives can interrupt the communion and fellowship that we have with God, but nothing can take us out of being in Christ Jesus. We are in Christ Jesus. We are a new creation. Old things have passed away. New things have come. And we talked about right at the end, I mentioned that, that that should change the way that we live. We are to walk in a manner worthy of this amazing gift that we've been given. Hebrews tells us, you know, the author of Hebrews in chapter 12, therefore, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us putting aside the sin which so easily entangles us, right? You know, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. And we're going to see, as, as Job now kind of recounts for us in chapter 31, he, he's going to lay this out, kind of again, kind of making his final stand, if you would. He's going to go through, these are the things, this is the way that I've lived my life. Because remember, his friends have been saying the reason you're suffering, the reason you're going through everything you're going through is because there's unconfessed sin in your life. And we even saw them get so bold as to start naming sins that they have no idea what they're talking about. And Job starts off in chapter 31. He says, I have made a covenant with my eyes. How then could I gaze at a virgin? He's going to discuss adultery here shortly. But he goes to the point, starting off even here, where he's talking about the fact that even with his eyes, realizing that the eyes are the, are the inlet, if you would, for all sorts of, of problems, all sorts of temptations. Jesus addresses this issue even in the Sermon on the Mount. He said, you have heard it said that you shall not commit adultery, but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery in her heart. Notice again, just looking with lust. And then he goes as far as to say this, if your right eye makes you stumble, tear it out and throw it from you, for it is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. If your right hand makes you stumble, cut it off and throw it from you, for it is better for you to lose one, one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. Now, please understand, Jesus wasn't saying that, again, if you're having an issue with things that you look at, poke your eyes out because then you're just going to be a blind person with the same problems. Jesus is speaking about a heart issue. 
And the same thing that Job is, is dealing with in, in this, that understanding that this is an issue of our heart. When Jesus is speaking of plucking your eye out or cutting your hand off, he's talking about going to radical measures to make sure that this temptation, this sin doesn't continue to afflict you. Again, if you've heard the expression we use, you know, if something you want something really, really bad, you'd say, man, I'd give my right arm for that. Not literally, you wouldn't cut off your right arm. What you're saying with that is, man, I would do anything. If, I, if that was within my power, I would do anything. And that is, what, that is what Jesus is calling on all of us to do when it comes to sin in our lives. And that's what, Jesus, what Job is saying here. He didn't poke his eyes out. He said, I made a covenant with my eyes. This is, this is something that I have made. I, I realized that as, as a man, I have this, this possibility. This, so I made a covenant with my eyes. If, if, there's, if there's a young woman that is there, I'm going to immediately look away. That is something I remember back to my days in, in men's ministry when I'd be challenging guys you know, one-on-one and we'd have our accountability. We'd say, man, I, by the, if you're struggling with looking at women, by the end of the week, you should have a sore neck because it should be like this. <laughs> you know, whatever you need to do. Guys, if you're struggling with pornography, gals too, this isn't just a guy issue. If you're struggling with pornography, do something about it. Get an accountability person. Get software that blocks that. Do whatever it takes. And if it is that big a deal, you don't have to poke your eyes out, but you might have to get rid of your computer, especially in places where you're alone. Let me tell you, you're not going to be, you, know, you won't be looking at that if you have a password that only your wife can sign on to and she's in the room with you. Do whatever it takes if that's an issue. And Job realized that, that, that could be a problem. So he said, I've made a covenant with my eyes. How then could I gaze at a virgin? And what is the portion of God, uh, I'm sorry, what is the portion of God from above or the heritage of the Almighty from on high? Is it not calamity to the to the unjust and disaster to those who work iniquity. He's saying again, God deals with those who are unjust. And he, goes, and he goes on to say, does he not see my ways and number all my steps? He knows everything. He knows all about me. Job, again, it's interesting. We've talked about that before when, when his friends would bring these revelations to him about how God sees everything. It's just like Job is like, that's never been an argument. The psalmist writes in Psalm 139, again, and these, these words for us as Christians who embrace the love of God that we've been singing about, this brings joy to us. But I'll tell you, there's, there's been times in my life where these words, these words didn't bring me as much joy. They brought a whole lot of looking over my shoulder at times. Oh Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You understand my thought from afar. You scrutinize my path and my lying down and are intimately acquainted with all my ways. God doesn't just have a general knowledge of some of the things you do. (laughs) Intimately acquainted with all of your ways. Even before there was a word on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all. You have enclosed me behind and before and laid your hand upon me. Nothing can happen to you guys outside of the will of God. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is too high. I cannot attain it. Now we're going to come back to that in a, in a little bit. But that, 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 you know, again, Job in the midst of his suffering lost sight of that. Again, remember, his, his issue has been, Lord, 
It's not that he's sinless, but he's, he's sin. The, what's going on in my life doesn't match up to what my life deserves. I, and, and that's been the problem. And we're going to see that again as, as, we, as we move along. So let's, let's, he continues to unfold his case here. He speaks now in verses five through eight, speaking of his integrity again. If I have walked with falsehood and my foot has hastened after deceit, if I have been deceitful, if I've, been, if I've lied with my actions, if I've been a hypocrite, let him, let God weigh me with accurate scales and let God know my integrity. Guess what, guys? He does. And he did with Job. The problem with, the, the reason why this, this book of Job is so long is because those three guys didn't get it. They, did, they were, again, trying to play judge and jury the whole way along. The Lord had weighed Job in the scales. And here's what he said. He's blameless, upright, fearing God, and turning away from evil. Recorded for us in chapter 1. That's how God spoke about Job. The problem is his accusers don't know his integrity, don't have the accurate weight. If my step is turned from the way or my heart follows my eyes, again, lustfully, or if any spot has stuck to my hands, it's calling out the fact that his life is above reproach, then, then he says, here's, here's what should happen. Let me sow and another eat. Let my crops be uprooted. If that's what my life has been, let it be. Verse 9. If my heart has been enticed by a woman or I have lurked at my neighbor's doorway, may my wife grind for another and let others kneel down over her. For that would be a lustful crime. Moreover, it would be an iniquity punishable by the judges. For it would be fire that consumes to Abaddon and would uproot all my increase. It's interesting the way the, the world looks at adultery anymore, the way the world looks at sexual sin anymore. I mean, it's just, it's, it's, as long as, you know, as long as it's just between you, da, 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 it's just, it's, it's crazy. But Job understood that this is, and going all the way back, this is a huge crime and iniquity. It's consuming. And he's noticed it would uproot all my increase. He's not saying that's what should happen. He's saying that's what will happen. If that was true of me, Solomon writes in Proverbs, can a man take fire in his bosom and his clothes not be burned? Thinking you're going to get away with it without getting burned? Let me answer the question. No, he can't. Can a man walk on hot coals and his feet not be scorched? So is the one who goes into his neighbor's wife. Whoever touches her will not go unpunished. Men do not despise a thief if he steals to satisfy himself when he's hungry. We understand if, if, if somebody is starving, if really hungry, and they break in to steal just bread to eat, we understand that. Doesn't mean that it's okay. He actually said if he's found, he must repay sevenfold. He must give all the substance of his house. But he goes on to say, though, the one who commits adultery with a woman is lacking sense. He, he who would destroy himself does it. That's in chapter 6. He, or he goes on into chapter 7 talking about a young man and giving an illustration, one who's lacking sense, passing around the street corner near her corner. And again, he's using an illustration here, an adulteress, but even toying with the idea of adultery is what he's speaking of here. Don't go near it. Don't go near the corner. 
Don't even play around with it because he goes on as he lays it all out. She persuades him. She entices him. She flatters him. She seduces him. And then suddenly he follows her as an ox goes to slaughter, as one who fetters the discipline of a fool until an arrow pierces through his liver as a bird hastens to the snare so he does not know that it will cost him his life. That's what the wisest man in the world said. Job said, it'll cost me everything that I have. I have seen so many marriages, individuals, families ruined because of this. And Job said, it's never, it's never entered his heart. He understands that and he's drawn that line. If I have despised the claim of my male and female servants, verse 13, when they filed a complaint against me, what then could I do when God arises and when he calls me to account? What will I answer him? Did he not who made me in the womb make him and the same one who fashioned us in this and the same one fashioned us in the womb? He's saying, I have dealt with my slaves that have been employed by me. I've dealt with them in equality. I've treated them fairly. And he's calling them out. Has, has, there any, has there been any single one of them has ever filed a complaint against me? Job understood, I'm no better than they are. I, God has blessed me with, with the, the, the riches that he's given to me and all of those types of things, but I'm no better of an individual than a slave. I need to treat them with dignity and with respect because they're God's creation just as I am. That's the way Job looked at. And that's an important lesson for, for us. Anybody who's in management, who has a position over others, we're not to ever lord that over people. Paul writes this in Ephesians chapter six, masters do the same thing, speaking of even being submissive, he's talking to slaves, but do the same thing and give up threatening knowing that both their master and yours is in heaven and there is no partiality with him. God doesn't see you as anything special just because you're the boss, just because you got your name on your door. God doesn't think that's real special at all. Verse 16, if I have kept the poor from their desire or have caused the eyes of the widow to fail or have eaten my morsel alone and the orphan has not shared it, but from my youth, he grew up with me as, as with a father. And from infancy, I guided her. I've been taking care of, of widows and orphans. Basically, from my youth, he understood the need for that. He's had this compassionate heart toward them. We saw that a couple of chapters back as well. If I have seen anyone perishing for a lack of clothing or that the needy have no covering, if his loins have not thanked me, and if... He has not been warmed with the fleece of my sheep. If I have lifted up my hand against the orphan because I saw I had support in the gate, let my shoulder fall from the socket and my arm be broken off at the elbow. Calling down a pretty severe judgment upon himself. For calamity from God is a terror to me. And because of his majesty, I can do nothing. Here again, he's saying if, if I have really done this, if I haven't taken care of the poor and the needy and the widows around me, which again, he's, he's stating again that he has. He says, let this fall on me. And again, we're called as that. As Christians, we're to be marked by our love. 1 John chapter 3, verse 16, we know love by this, that he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. 
Whoever has the world's goods and sees his brother in need and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? That's a really good question. How can we see someone in need, suffering, going through trial, and not be moved in compassion, not be going out to to help, closes his heart against him? Little children, let us not love in word or with tongue, but in deed and truth. Closing his heart, that again means indifference. And Job said, I had a heart of compassion. When I saw someone in need, I went out of my way. Even if it meant, and he talks about here, even if it meant slaughtering a sheep and giving the fleece of that sheep just so that they could be warm. And this is not just speaking of financial. Guys, there's, a lot, there's often times where financial help actually makes matters worse. But what this is saying is we should never look upon someone in need and be indifferent about it, not getting involved and being active to help in it. We, ha- we have an opportunity coming up again at the end of this month, uh, You Matter Ministries. We have the golf tournament in, a- in April, that first April 7th, that raises money for that. But the last Saturday, I know it's Easter weekend, but is that fifth Saturday, and we send a team down to go down and be a part of Feeding the Homeless in Phoenix. If you've never, if you've never been a part of that, I encourage you, check it out. Go down and be a part of that. This is a way that we can be the hands and feet of Jesus, giving our time, caring. Sometimes when you're down there, and I've, I've gone a couple of times, sometimes when it's just you've, you've t- you come across someone who's really just got it down and out, they don't necessarily need money. What they need is just somebody to care for them, just to, just to listen to them and to pray with them. Now, the Lord might move upon your heart to help them out, whether, whether it be financially or with, with other material things, but that's not all that this is tied up in here. And we saw that back with Job, defending those who couldn't defend themselves. And he says, if that doesn't define me, <laughs> let my shoulders be ripped out at the socket. Yikes. But again, for the calamity from the Lord is a terror to me. He's speaking of the fear of God that's in him. He, he loves the Lord and there's this healthy reverential fear of God. And because of that, he realizes, and we're going to see as we move into the next section, he understands everything comes from God. He says that in verse 24, if I put my confidence in gold and called fine gold my trust, if I have gloated because my wealth was great and because my hand had secured so much, if, if I've put my confidence in my money or my wealth, or even saying that it's because what I've done that has secured it, if I've looked at the sun when it's shone or the moon that is going in splendor and my heart became secretly enticed like worshiping that and my hand threw a kiss from my mouth, that too would have been iniquity calling for judgment for I would have denied God above. Because I, with my hand, secured this. If I'd be boasting in that, thinking that I somehow did all, I'd be denying God. Guys, understand this. And I've had this discussion with several people before when they talk about all that they have done Everything that we have is a gift of God. Every breath that we take is a gift. The fact that you and I are sitting in an air-conditioned building in Arizona studying the Word of God openly is a gift, guys. You didn't choose where you were born. You didn't choose your parents. All of those things, God chose that for you. The abilities that you have to go out and, and, and to learn. And it, it's amazing to me how people boast in, in all of their degrees and all of the stuff that they've, they've learned. God gave you the ability to do that. All of those things, it's all a gift of God. And we can see here that Job is saying, man, I, 
I would deny God if I ever thought that I could, any of this was for me. Maybe you've heard the, that story about the scientists who finally wanted to challenge God because they said, we have, can now create life from dirt. We can prove it. So we're going to challenge God to this contest. So they, they get there and they get all of their stuff and everything all together and they square off with God for the contest and they say, all right, here we go. One, two, three, go. And they bend down into the dirt and he goes, ah, get your own dirt. <laughs> all right, well. Verse 29, moving on. Have I rejoiced in the extinction of my enemy or exalted when evil befell him? No, I have not allowed my mouth to sin by asking for his life in a curse. We know, we looked at this in Romans chapter 12, we're never to take our own revenge but leave room for the vengeance of the Lord. You know, God, God himself says, vengeance is mine, I will repay. If your enemy's hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In so doing, you'll heap burning coals on his head, and that wasn't a physical punishment. Do not overcome evil, but overcome evil with good. That's, that is what we're called to do. Not, not to respond in kind, evil for evil, but good for evil. And that's what, that's what again, Job is speaking of here. I've, I, I've never rejoiced in that. I've never called out for that. And he was even saying that if he did that, he'd be sinning with his mouth to call on God to do that. Have the men of my tent not said, who can find one who is not satisfied with, who is not satisfied with his meat? Again, no one can ever say that who worked for me that they, I didn't take care of them. The alien has not lodged outside for I opened my doors to the traveler. Anyone in need, somebody stranger walking through town needed a place to stay, my doors were always open. Have I covered my transgressions like Adam by hiding my iniquity in my bosom because I feared the great multitude and the contempt of families terrified me and kept silent and did not go out of doors? Did I cover up my sins so that other people wouldn't find out? Did I, did I do all of that because I wanted people to think this way about me, but knowing there was this problem? Again, he's saying, that's never been my issue. And here we go, verse 35. Oh, that I had one to hear me. Behold, here is my signature. Basically what he's saying is, this is it. I'm putting, the, putting my signature at the end of the page. Let the Almighty answer me. And again, guys, he's, by the way, you know, just again, spoiler, good news. He's going to repent of this in chapter 42. Because again, this, he is, this is where he has crossed the line in all of this. God, God was not, Job wasn't suffering because of sin. But he did sin in his suffering. And again, we've talked about that through here. We, it's easy for us to sit here and say, Job, I can't believe you said that. Ooh. Unless we put ourselves in his shoes. And we go there. I'm only speaking for myself, but I'd have probably cried out a lot, a lot sooner than Job did. In the indictment which my adversary has written. Again, here's, here's the problem. Job, doesn't, Job didn't get to read chapter one like you and I did before we started. So he thinks his adversary this whole time is God, not Satan. Guys, understand this, though. As, as, as human beings, before Jesus, 
We were at enmity with God. That's what the Bible tells us. We were at war. He was our adversary. We were at war. You might, if you're not a believer here today, you might say, hey, I'm not at war with God. I, you're wrong. Jesus said, you're either for me or against me. But Romans 5.1, therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And that's eternal again in Christ Jesus. But he's, he's, again, thinking that God is his adversary. He wants it written out, what he's done. Surely I would carry it on my shoulder. I would bind it to myself like a crown. I would declare to him the number of my steps. Like a prince, I would approach him. Like I said, I know you're all thinking, man, if I'm hearing this, I'm running, right? I don't want to be anywhere near the lightning when it comes down. But he's going to, again, the Lord's going to deal with Job, and he's going to repent And as we move through this. And then it's like all of a sudden he, he, he forgot something. He's got to jump in to cover one thing he left out before he signed off. If my land cries out against me and, it furrows, and its furrows weep together, if I've eaten its fruit without money or I've caused its owners to lose their lives, let briars grow instead of wheat and stinkweed instead of barley. The words of Job are ended. We will hear from Job again a little bit later when he's responding to the Lord, but he's pretty much said, all right, I'm done. Now, I mentioned Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar. They're done. But we're introduced to this new guy here, Elihu. Elihu? Elihu. 30, chapter 32. Then these three men ceased answering Job because he was righteous in his own eyes. And they came to the end of it too. They're like, we're tired of having this debate and this argument back and forth. You refuse to see what a sinner you are. And, but here we go, verse two. But the anger of Elihu, the son of Bereshel, the Buzite, of the family of Ram, burned. First notice, against Job, his anger burned because he justified himself before God. And we're gonna, we'll unpack that a little bit more. And his anger burned against the three friends because they had found no answer and yet condemned Job. When we look at this guy, Elihu, we're going to find some things out about him as we, as we read through these next several verses. But just like the others, and I think even more so to some extent, there's a lot of things that Elihu says that are right on. Again, problem is he takes it too far, and certain things he says that are right on are not applicable to Job. He's going to try to distance himself from the three friends, but we'll see he falls back in into the same boat with them several times. Verse 4, Now Elihu had waited to speak to Job because they were years older than he. And while Elihu saw that there was no answer in the mouth of the three men, his anger burned. So he's a much younger man than the rest of them. He says, verse 6, So Elihu, the son of Bereshel, the Buzzite, spoke out and said, I am young in years, and you are old. That might sound a little insulting. Back then, that was actually giving honor to them. I'm younger than you. You are older than I. Therefore, I was shy and afraid to tell you what I think. Hmm. How things have changed. I thought age should speak and increased years should teach wisdom. Now we've commented a few times, it wasn't like there was just the three of the four of them, Job and his three friends sitting around, no doubt. Again, Job, a very 
very popular, well-known man. So as word traveled and word, they heard that he was sitting down in the garbage dump and how all of this stuff and that he's friends, no doubt a large crowd probably was gathered around listening to what was being said. And one of them was this Elihu and he's been, he's been listening and he's been waiting for these older, experienced men to start speaking wisdom because he said increased years should teach wisdom. And that's that... As we grow older, we should grow in wisdom. But, he says, that's not the only place you get wisdom. As a matter of fact, sometimes that's the worst thing that you can do is to rely on your own understanding, right, and your own wisdom and things from your past. Because he says, but it is a spirit in man, and the breath of the Almighty gives them understanding. God gives us wisdom. God's speaking to our hearts. Again, this is before the written word. Just for those maybe just joining us, Job is quite possibly the first book written. Dating back, Job is more than likely a contemporary of Abraham. Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible many, many, many years later. So they didn't have the Bible. They didn't have the law. They didn't have these things then. We do. God speaks to us, gives us wisdom. That's why it just blesses me on Wednesday nights. You're coming out and studying Job. Good for you. Praise the Lord. But we're continually in the word of God because in that we gain wisdom. Supernaturally, the Holy Spirit. And again, as I encourage you, don't just come on Wednesday night. Don't just read devotionals. Open the word of God yourself and read it daily. The word of God is alive and active. The Holy Spirit will reveal to you things and, and spiritual truth as you pray and it'll, it'll speak directly into your life. And that's what he's speaking of there, that, that the Lord Almighty gives understanding as well. The abundant in years may not be wise, nor may elders understand justice. So I say, listen to me. I too will tell you what I think. Behold, I waited for your words. I listened to your reasoning. While you pondered what to say, I even paid close attention to you. Indeed, there was no one who refuted Job. Not one of you answered his words. And we've talked about that as we've gone through this. Not one of them addressed Job's questions, what Job was dealing with. Not, they, they skirted the issue all the time. Not one of you. He was waiting for that. And he says, now do not say we have found wisdom. God will rout him, not man. For he has not arranged his words against me, nor will I reply to him with your arguments. Now he turns his attention from those three guys to Job. They are dismayed. They no longer answer. Words have failed them. Shall I wait because they do not speak, because they stop and no longer answer? I too will answer my share. I also will tell my opinion, for I am full of words. And he is not kidding. The next six chapters are Elihu talking. He is full of words. And it's almost, the next few verses almost make me chuckle after that. He says, the spirit within me constrains me. Behold, my belly is like unvented wine, like new wineskins. It's about to burst. It's like he got, I've had six chapters of stuff to stay in. I just, I'm about ready to burst. <laughs> uh, you ever feel that way? I, that's why I don't watch. I don't watch the news. I don't watch those news talk shows. I can't watch for five minutes where I'm sitting there and I'm screaming at the TV like, you're not answering the question. Oh, I don't, I don't, I don't. I don't even watch it anymore. I feel like Elihu. 
I'm about to burst. I got a lot of things to say, and they won't even listen. Anyway, verse 20, let me speak that I may get relief. <laughs> let me just vomit this out. Let me open my lips and answer. Let me now be partial to no one, nor flatter any man, for I do not know how to flatter. He does know how to repeat himself, but he doesn't know how to flatter. Else my maker would soon take me away. And again, he's, he's building up his case as to why they should listen to him. He's not going to say the same thing that they've been saying. He's got new revelation. He's even going to insinuate that he's speaking for the Lord here in a few verses. He's, uh, he's talking about that he wouldn't say anything to just flatter somebody. He's really building up himself. So here we go. <laughs> However now, Job, please hear my speech and listen to all my words. Behold now, I open my mouth. My tongue in my mouth speaks. This guy's really a piece of work, isn't he? <laughs> Get to the point already. My words are from the uprightness of my heart, and my lips speak knowledge sincerely. This is, this, he's, he's speaking from the heart. The, he's really, and now he's saying the Lord has moved the, upon his heart with this. The Spirit of God has made me, and the breath of the Almighty gives me life. Refute me if you can. Array yourselves before me. Take your stand. Behold, I belong to God like you. I too have been formed out of the clay. Behold, no fear of me should terrify you, nor should my pressure weigh heavily on you. Surely you have spoken in my hearing, and I have heard the sound of your words. Now, again, he's speaking to Job directly here. I've heard your words. I am pure. Without transgression, I am innocent, and there is no guilt in me. Now, that's not exactly what Job has said. Again, remember, he's never claimed to be sinless. He's never claimed to be absolutely pure in everything. His, his whole thing is, when I, there has been issues in my life, I've repented of that. I've, I've dealt with those things in my life. There's nothing in my life that is unconfessed, unrepentant, or that I'm hiding. That's the main thing. But here is where it gets right to it, and this is the problem that Job has. Behold, he invents pretexts against me. He, Job has said, God is, God, God is dealing with me on things that I haven't done. He must be inventing things. He must be creating things to bring against me. He counts me as his enemy. He said that on numerous occasions. We just looked at that again back in verse 35, the past chapter. He puts my feet in stocks. That literally was something he said before. He watches all my paths. We looked at that verse already that in Psalms that kind of lined up again. Job saying, he watches everything I do. He says this though, verse 12, behold, let me tell you, you are not right in this for God is greater than man. Why do you complain against him? that he does not give an account of all his doings. And this kind of cuts to the chase. And here again, Elihu is speaking truth here. Again, the problem is when he pushes it too far and puts Job into a category that he doesn't belong in. But here, if he just stop right here, you try, you, you, he does not give an account of all he does. Job, he doesn't owe you an explanation for this. God doesn't owe us a reasoning behind what he does. The Bible tells us, guys, that his ways are past our finding out. And if we try to fit God into little boxes that we can understand and that we can figure out everything that he, that he is, all of a sudden, guys, we're, we, we miss it. 
I don't remember who said it. I've heard it said over and over, and I've said it myself too, but if, if, if God were small enough for me to fully understand, he wouldn't be big enough to worship. And that's the thing. God is so much greater than we are. The Bible says again, the secret things belong to the Lord. The things he reveals belongs to us. But the secret things belong to the Lord. Job wants to know the whole truth. And I can just almost hear Elihu saying right here is, you can't handle the whole truth. (laughs) God is way bigger. Indeed, God speaks once or twice and no one notices it. That's not, that doesn't happen here in the book of Job, but how many times are we in, those, in situations where we're looking for an answer and God gives us the answer here, but that's not where we were looking. We don't want that answer. We're gonna be looking in other places and God speaks and God speaks again and comes through one person and comes through another and we totally miss it. And when, one day it was, God, why didn't you answer? I did. But no one notices. Again, very true, not true of Job. In a dream, a vision of the night, when sound sleep falls on men while they slumber in their beds, then he opens the ears of men and seals their instruction. God does speak through visions and and dreams. Not all dreams. Praise God for that, because I have some really crazy dreams at times. I'm really glad that wasn't a message from the Lord. But he does speak that way. He opens the ears of men and seals their instructions. Verse 17, that he may turn man aside from his conduct and keep man from pride. God does things that, again, we don't fully understand. He speaks in certain ways. He doesn't works in certain ways to keep us from going certain directions, to keep us from certain conduct. Paul speaks of the fact the thorn in his flesh. He realized and understood after he asked for it to be removed, God said, my grace is sufficient. He understood that was to keep him from pride. He knew that that was, he could have a propensity for that, and so he understood that. Again, not true of Job, but good things that we can embrace and understand. He keeps back his soul from the pit and his life from passing over into Sheol. Man is also chastened with pain on his bed and with unceasing complaint in his bones, so that his life loathes bread and his soul, and his soul's, his soul favorite food. To the point people have got, and he says, they're in pain, they're struggling, they're in difficulty, they're in bed, they, even to the point where they, they don't even want to eat, even their, their favorite foods, they just hate food. Their flesh wastes away from their sight, his bones, which were not seen, they stick out. When, then his soul draws near to the pit and his life to those who bring death. Again, Job is not suffering through the things because of sin. But sometimes God allows these things in our life. I don't know if you know of anybody, perhaps you could give a testimony personally about how you gave your life to the Lord or how you returned to the Lord after a serious accident, after something that took place in your life. I remember it was several years ago now, but the testimony of a young man that we actually baptized in a, in a wheelchair because we had to tip him backwards in the wheelchair just to submerge the top part of his body and everything because he was paralyzed from a car accident that almost took his life. But it was in that hospital bed that he gave his life back to the Lord. And we look at those, we say, oh, what a tragedy. Guys in heaven, 
glorious because he was he was on a path of destruction and it's this by the way praise the lord he's walking today but god is good but again those types of things we look at that and and i've heard so many testimonies of, of that type of thing where god uses those things sometimes if we resist and resist and resist but again not true of job job's not the point where his bones are sticking out because of sin if there, verse 23, if there's a, an angel or a messenger is another translation for that word, as a mediator for him, one out of a thousand, to remind a man what is right for him, then let him be gracious to, to him and say, deliver him from going down into the pit. I have found a ransom. Again, delivering, bringing a message to deliver right off of the edge. Let his flesh become fresher than in youth. Let him return to the days of his youthful vigor. Then he will pray to God and he will accept him that he may see his face with joy and he may restore his righteousness to man. He will sing to men and say, I have sinned and perverted what is right and it is not proper for me. He has redeemed my soul from going to the pit and my life shall see the light. What he's saying in there is, again, Going through all of this, sending a messenger, going through all of these difficulties and trials before going into the pit, he's redeemed. I love that song we sang earlier. I'm redeemed. Again, redeemed, rescued, sending a messenger. And we know and we understand Jesus is that one who came and rescued us and redeemed us. But here again, calling on him to repent. He's, he's kind of taken, taken a subtle end around to the same thing. Job, if you'll simply repent, you can find this redemption and the ransom there. Verse 29, behold, God does these, all these oftentimes with men to bring his soul back from the pit that he may be enlightened with the light of men or the light of life, I'm sorry. Pay attention, O Job, listen to me. Keep silent and let me speak. Then if you have anything to say, answer me. Speak, for I desire to justify you. If not, listen to me. Keep silent, and I will teach you wisdom. <laughs> I, don't say anything. Be quiet. Listen to me. If you have anything to say, let me know. Stay quiet. Listen to me. You know, it's kind of like, <laughs> I'm trying to justify you. Answer me. Don't say anything. We're going to have to stop there. We, that was, I think, at 34 tonight, too, but... I'm not a speed reader, as although I try to be. But we're going to continue to see Elihu laying, laying this out again. Some, some very important things that we see here. And again, I think probably the, the biggest takeaway for me in, in his response, and again, some great things from Job, some challenges for us as we should live our lives, as Job could boldly and honestly say, the things that he was saying, he wasn't lying. He wasn't doing anything. Again, that's we, God gives testimony to that in chapter one. So some great things and challenges for you and I as we walk this life and we should walk in a manner worthy of this gift given to us. But also, again, that challenge from Elihu, guys, God is bigger than we are. He's got a bigger plan than you and I. And we need to embrace the fact that, that he is all-knowing, he is all-powerful, and he works all things together for good. Those who love God and called according to his purposes, he does not owe us an explanation. And like we've said several times as we've gone through Job, Job is not a book of explanation. It's a book of revelation. At the end of it all, Job doesn't get an answer why. He just understands who a whole lot more. He understands God a whole lot more. So let's pray. Lord, thank you again for your word. Thank you for your servant, Job. 
Lord, so many things that we see in him and, and through the trial and suffering that he went through that you've recorded for us, Lord, that we, can, that we can take away and we can apply directly to our lives. Lord, we thank you that you are a God way beyond our fully understanding and finding out. But Lord, the amazing truth is though you are that holy, that other yet you still sent your son to die for us. That Jesus, you chose to take that condescending step from your throne in heaven to become one of us, something that we will never understand how big a step that is, all, for your lo- all because of your love for us. Because of that, we as born-again believers are redeemed, fu- our, our ransom price fully paid, and we are in you. We thank you for that truth. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. God bless you guys. Have a good rest of the week.